When I was a kid, we would often, on Sundays after church, go to a local buffet. Some of you might remember the term smorgasbord from back in the day. As I piled food on my plate, my mother would often say, now, don't bite off more than you can chew, or don't let your eyes be bigger than your stomach. And my mother was a clean plate award mother. And so I ate what I had on my plate, and it didn't go to waste. Well, I'm afraid that when I planned out the sermon series, that I bit off a bit more than I could chew with today's message. And so I've decided to divide the outline that's in front of you over two weeks. And so we'll cover half of it today as we come to the table and the other half next week. I also believe that where we're going to stop today is a great segue and a great intro into the Lord's table today as we do that. So if you would, please turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2, and we'll be reading and covering verses 6 through 10 uh, this morning. You can find that on page 984 in the Pew Bibles in front of you. Uh, and just as we'd like to occasionally remind folks, if you're, uh, if you're visiting with us, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, we would love for you to take one of those Bibles uh, home with you and begin reading it on a daily basis uh, so that you can get to know this Savior that we serve and come to worship here every Sunday. Please stand as you're able for the reading of God's Word. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, indeed, this is your word, and you don't speak any clearer to us than when you speak to us through your word. So would you send your spirit to open it to us, give us eyes to see and hearts to receive, and enable us, Lord, uh, to look more and more like Jesus today, we ask in his name. Amen. Please be seated. I've entitled, <clears throat> entitled the message, Jesus is More Than Enough, to raise the dead, life in him. <clears throat> and we'll add on to that today, part one. As we will see, the resurrection of Jesus As we see the resurrection of Jesus and subsequently the power to raise us from the dead is the foundation of our new life in Christ. One of the things we're going to see that's very pervasive language in this section over the next two weeks as we look at it is the idea of being in him or with him. Notice uh, these verses that contain this in this section of the letter. In verse 6, walk in him. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him. Verse 9, in him 
the whole fullness of deity dwells. Verse 10, you have been filled in him. Verse 11, in him you were circumcised. Verse 12, buried with him in baptism, raised with him. 13, made alive with him. And finally in 15, triumphing in him. Jesus Christ is all and in all. He is our all in all. And he will be found in, we will be found in him and the resurrection life that he gives to us. In his commentary, Douglas Moo suggests that these verses that we're looking at today are the hinge pin of Colossians. This is where it all turns in a different direction between the first and major sections of the letter. The first phrase in verse 6 gives us the key theological argument of the letter to this point. Jesus Christ is Lord, Paul has established. And we then have received his lordship. In fact, the exact arrangement of the grammar here is not found anywhere else in Paul's writings. There are two articles associated with these titles of Christ, Jesus Christ and Lord. And it literally reads, the Christ, Jesus, the Lord. It's likely a formalized reference to an early church confession. Jesus is Lord. That's something that we take for granted and that we hear often in our vocabulary. But that was an expression in the early church that was their confession of faith. Jesus is Lord. <clears throat> the second phrase, so walk in him. So in summary, in these two phrases... What we have in this section is instructions in how to live under the lordship of Christ as we move forward in the book. And so in this short verse, Paul's providing an encapsulated summary of where he's come from and where he's going from this point forward. <clears throat> Another unusual use of language for Paul in verse 6 <clears throat> is the idea of receiving Christ personally. I found this kind of interesting that typically the word here that's translated received is almost always followed by receiving a tradition, receiving the word of God, receiving the law. This is the only occasion in Paul's writings where there's a personal object with this idea of receiving. And it gives weight and significance to the concept. He emphasizes that we are filled up with Christ. Far more than being the recipients of Christ's teaching only or the oral tradition of passing down the word and the law of God, Paul is telling the Colossians that the supremacy and lordship of Christ is not some abstract idea that's unrelated to who we are, but rather that it extends to our day-to-day -day lives that we receive the person of Christ. Apart from walking in his fullness on a daily basis, we are incomplete and incapable of being and fulfilling who Christ has called us to be in him. The New International Version translation gives us a little bit more insight into the original language by interpreting verse 6 in its translation in this way. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord... Continue to live your lives in him. 
This gives a little fuller picture of what it means to walk in him. It brings out the present form of the imperative as, as a continuing action. We are to continue to walk in Christ after our salvation. It is an ongoing activity as we continue to live our lives in him, walking in him. Paul then gives some helpful metaphors following that statement to help explain this concept. <clears throat> the first one that you see there is having been rooted. Of course, this is a horticultural, agricultural term that folks would be very familiar with. Something that needs to be rooted deep. God is the initiator of our being rooted in Christ as the seed of the gospel is planted in fertile soil. Our roots grow deep through the power of the Holy Spirit enabling us to withstand the tests and the storms of life as we're planted firmly and deeply within Christ. Reminds me of Psalm 1 where we're told that the happy man or the blessed man is described as one who is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. And in all that he does, he prospers as he delights in and meditates on the law of God. In the Gospel of John, chapter 15, Jesus says further, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The second metaphor that Paul uses is one of a construction nature. Being built up. Walking in Christ, living in him, involves being rooted in him as the source of everything, and then not remaining in a static state, as just being stationary and rooted, but rather a continual state of being built up in him. Jesus, the cornerstone of the building of God, doesn't leave us where he finds us. He works in us, building our faith as one of the stones in his eternal dwelling. A privilege it is to be part of the building of God as he builds us up in him. Finally, we are to remain built up in him. We remain established in the faith. A firm, rooted, and built up, established faith that the Lord gives us. And all three of these descriptive participles are in the passive voice. God is the one who does the work. It is he who works in us as we live out our lives in Christ. What a blessing that the Spirit of God works in our lives in that way. Remember that this instruction from Paul to walk in Christ was what he prayed for the Colossians in chapter 1, verse 10. A number of you have mentioned that that prayer has become important to you and that you've been using that on a regular basis. And I would continue to encourage you to do that. But there he said, walk in a manner, he's praying for them, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit, there's that idea again of 
bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. We see today in this passage a lot of parallel language with that prayer as now Paul begins to unpack it and help them implement these things in their lives. All of this stems from hearts abounding, or it could be translated overflowing, in thanksgiving. It's common today for people to use the tagline, blessed. You've probably seen that around, whether on their social media posts or above the mantle on a plaque and above their fireplace. I would encourage us to occasionally do a self-check on what we mean when we use that term or other terms like it. Is our gratitude primarily tied to the material blessings that we have, or is it the far superior gift of walking and abiding in Christ? Our thanksgiving, if it's about the stuff and people in our lives, then what happens when all of that is taken away? like it was for Job. Will we still be able to affirm, as Job did, the Lord gave and the Lord takes away? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Paul was overflowing with thanksgiving. While he was in prison, with nothing but the shirt on his back, he had found being rooted and built up in Jesus and established in the faith was more than enough for him. As we look at what it means to live in Christ, to walk in him, to abide in him, and understand that he is the one working in us, how can we be anything but abounding and overflowing in thanksgiving? <clears throat> Paul warned the Colossians not to seek this new life in Christ in the false teaching that was infiltrating the church. In verse 8, he gives us the most insight into the heresy of the Colossians that we have in the whole letter. He describes the Colossian heresy in these four ways. Philosophy, empty deceit, according to human tradition, and according to the elemental spirits of the world. Paul isn't necessarily denigrating all philosophy or the study of it. He himself studied philosophy. But rather that worldly philosophy that is empty and deceitful. This empty and deceitful philosophy is alive and well in our society and has even crept into the church in many cases. Well, certainly tradition was something that Paul was familiar with as a former Pharisee. You may remember in Mark chapter 7 that Jesus rebuked the Pharisees when they questioned his disciples about not following the rabbinical traditions that had been handed down to them. And Jesus quoted the prophet Isaiah when he rebuked them, saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. 
The Colossians had received Christ himself as their tradition. And that was enough. That should have been sufficient for them to have received the person of Christ alone and not to add on the tradition of men. And we too must guard against adding on to Christ with the traditions of men. The word that's translated in ESV, elemental spirits, could refer to a number of different things. It could be natural substances such as earth, air, water, fire, those things uh, that some people have worshipped in the past. Or the sun, moon, and stars are other astrological phenomenons that people use as spirit guides and that sort of thing. Or it could have been referring directly to angelic uh, beings or demonic spirits. But whatever is intended here by this phrase, and whatever Paul had in mind in the culture of his day, the false teachers were encouraging the Colossians to find spiritual fulfillment outside of Christ. Something else to bring them to a higher spiritual state. It is critically important for us to understand that all wisdom, all knowledge in the created world comes under the authority of Jesus Christ. Remember the links that Paul has already gone to in this letter to express the supremacy of Christ over the universe as it, the creator of everything, the sustainer of everything, and the redeemer of everything. So when we're presented with knowledge and philosophy and wisdom out in the world, whether in the university or in the workplace or among friends or in what we read and what we bring into our minds, we must evaluate it in light of the knowledge of Christ. The world would have us compartmentalize our faith, relegate that to one day a week. Sure, you can have your faith, you can have your Christianity, but the real truth and wisdom lies over here in what the world offers. This is an empty deceit, according to human tradition, that we must reject this kind of reasoning. Jesus Christ is the fullness of God, and we are filled in him alone. Not him plus worldly knowledge and philosophy. And if we give ground here in our intellect and our understanding, we will concede to the spiritual powers that Paul is referencing here and authorities that are not according to Christ. Certainly, we would acknowledge that we're just, just as much in danger of this happening in our own lives today as the Colossians were, being taken captive by spiritual add-ons, by those things that would compete for the supremacy of Christ in our lives. We must be on guard and we must find Jesus to be enough without seeking other things as we desire to walk in him and abide in him. In addition to walking in him, life in Jesus also means being filled in him. Look back at verse 9 and 10. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. The phrase, in him, the fullness of deity dwells, should ring some bells a little bit. It refers us back to that glorious Christ-exalting hymn of chapter 1. 
where in verse 19, the hymn expressed this idea, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, speaking of Jesus. In the Old Testament, God's presence among his people on earth dwelt in the tabernacle or the temple, the glory of God. In his body of flesh, Jesus has become the temple of God, the dwelling place of God among us. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And we, in turn, it tells us, have been filled up in him. What an amazing truth. This is astounding to think about. The Colossian heresy involved seeking the presence of God through other spiritual means and intermediaries. But in the gospel, everything that it means to be God is present in the person of Jesus Christ. He is all we need, and his physical nature is not a disadvantage to his fullness. Gregory Beale, in his commentary, says this. In contrast to the false teacher's denigration of the physical body, which we'll see a little bit later in chapter 2, the point here is that Christ's physical body was and is the sacred abode of deity and not a detriment to his divine status. In fact, his fleshly body was necessary for the presence and power of God to be expressed in the last days especially in reclaiming people from sin and the evil, evil powers that held them captive. The idea of Jesus taking upon flesh and having a body is not a diminishing of his glory or a diminishing of his deity. It was how God fulfilled his plan. And Jesus Christ, all the fullness of God, dwells in him bodily. The beauty of this truth, that God's fullness dwells in Christ bodily, means that we too can be filled with the presence of God, even in our finite capacity as humans. We don't need to go into some transcendental state or other reality to experience the fullness of God that he wants for us. In John chapter 1, verse 16, we read, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. And the parallel passage in the book of Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 19, it says, And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. If the whole fullness of deity dwells in Jesus and we in turn have been filled with him, then it follows the scripture teach, teaches that we have the fullness of God as he intends us to have it. Everything that we need can be found in the spirit of Christ who dwells within us. Paul reminds us of the importance of holy living in our bodies as a result of this idea of being temples. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, when he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. 
even as Jesus Christ glorified the Father and brought glory to himself in his body, in the fullness of God, we too are to live lives that exemplify Christ and bring him glory in our bodies, even as we desire to do in our hearts and in our spirit. Jesus is more than enough for us. He is more than enough to raise the dead to new life and provide that in himself that we might glorify him in our lives. So what are those add-ons and obstacles in your life that prevent you from seeing Jesus as enough to fill you? Think about that for a moment. What are the things that indicate in your life that in your actions and attitudes you fall short of believing that Jesus is enough? Maybe you think, if I could only attain a particular position in my career, that then I would feel fulfilled. Maybe it's that savings account or retirement account that if I could just get to this place, then I would have a feeling of fulfillment and satisfaction. Or taking that trip of a lifetime that you've always wanted to do, checking off the bucket list, obtaining a dream house in the mountains or at the beach or on the lake, a relationship that to this point you haven't had or don't have, children, that perhaps one day they would fulfill your need and fill that empty space that you have in your heart and in your life. Grandchildren, what are the things that distract you from your fellowship with Christ and finding your perfect fulfillment in him? Listen to this quote from F.F. F. Bruce. Without him, his people must remain forever incomplete unable to attain the true end of their existence, but united with him, incorporated in him, they are joined with him in a living bond in which he and they complement each other. Although they are not essential to his fullness as he is to theirs. What an amazing truth that the God who has no need of companionship, he was perfectly fulfilled in the Trinity from eternity past, who has no need for being filled in relationship, extends and condescends to us to join in relationship that we might find our fullness in him alone. This is a beautiful truth. And coming to the Lord's table today is a great opportunity to think about this and to think about your life in Christ. Because at this table, we fellowship with him. This is the perfect time to reflect on your communion with him. Do you walk in the fullness of Jesus Christ on a day-to-day -day basis? And what are those things 
that you seek apart from him or in addition to your relationship with the resurrected Christ. Be honest with yourself and with the Lord during this time because he already knows and you're not going to be able to move past where you are with these false props in your life being filled in him until you acknowledge them and realize that they're insufficient and you need to mortify and put them to death in your life. Ask Jesus, not, not later today, not tomorrow, but here, right now, ask him during this time of fellowship with him around his table that he would reveal to you the idols of your heart and that, and that you desire to be filled up with him. Ask him to help you put those things to death and to only pursue him. Take a step of faith in this. Ask him to show you his sufficiency at the table. Ask him to sustain that fullness that he brings throughout the week, each and every day as you commune with him in his word and as you spend time communing with him in prayer. We don't come to the table to witness a sacrifice of death over and over again, as though we needed that to happen for our forgiveness of sins. That sacrifice for our sins happened once and for all upon the cross of Calvary. It's finished. Nor do we come only to simply memorialize that sacrifice in some kind of morbid reflection. We come to fellowship with a risen, conquering Savior who is actively interceding for us right now at the right hand of the Father. We come seeking to live a life in him and filled up with him, to obtain the grace needed for that life from him, to be strengthened and encouraged in that walk. Listen again to what our confession, which we believe is wholly based on the word of God, tells us we should be doing in these next few moments as we commune with Jesus. We are to wait on the Lord. We're to be fully engaged here in this moment. We are to discern the Lord's body. We are to look to the cross. And as we do that, we are to be stirred up to do some personal inventory and yes, to grieve over our sin, to turn away from ourselves and to hunger and thirst after Christ. Feed on him by faith. Receive of his fullness. Trust in his merits. Rejoice in his love. Give thanks for his grace and renew your affection for him and your love for one another. These are our instructions of what the Lord's table is about. Our hymn of preparation says, Come, you thirsty, come and welcome. God's free bounty glorify, true belief and true repentance, every grace that brings you nigh. Arise, brothers and sisters, and go to Jesus He will embrace you in his arms. In the arms of your dear Savior, there are 10,000 charms awaiting to fill you up. Let's pray.
Well, Lord, we thank you for this amazing reality and truth that the fullness of God dwells in Jesus Christ bodily. And as those who follow him, who love him, who have been saved and by him and adopted into the family, you desire to fill us with that fullness. So Lord, enable us even in this time to look away from those things in which we would seek satisfaction, fulfillment, and joy in this world, and let us look only to Jesus to satisfy those deepest needs. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen.